Let's turn our Bibles to Jude, uh, excuse me, Jude, yes, Jude, uh, Job, <laughs> Job, Job 15. As you do, we'll pray, Father, Lord, tonight uh, we sit here, uh, Lord, in warmth and comfort, and, and our hearts go out to the many displaced people, Lord, throughout our country, Lord, whether it's a tornado, a, a flood, a fire, Lord, we, we realize in all these things, Lord, you're speaking to our nation. And we pray, Father, for the repentance of our nation tonight. And Lord, that the church, Lord, the church of Jesus Christ, that, Lord, we'd be activated, that we would be praying, Lord, we would be witnessing, Lord, we would be leading people to you. So, Lord, I pray help us to do that. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, as we continue, Lord, through this, this book of Job. Lord, uh, we, we thank you, Lord, for the example of a man like Job. Lord, the New Testament uh, highlights his life as a man of great patience and endurance. And so help us, Father, as we, we study this man's life, we, uh, we look at uh, all the adversity that he faced, and yet, Lord, uh, he, he remained faithful to you. So we thank you for the example of a man who, uh, who suffered, Father, far more than we ever will. So help us, Lord, we pray. Help us in the matter of patience. Help us in the matter of endurance. Lord, uh, even as we're thinking about the, uh, the weather events around our country, Lord, uh, we, we've had it pretty easy here. Uh, Lord, we've been relatively safe and and. Uh, the worst that we've seen perhaps in the last year was, is this windstorm. And, and so we want to thank you, Father, for your mercies. Uh, but, Lord, when a trial comes into our life, Lord, how I pray that you would, Lord, help us not to whine, Lord, not to complain, Lord, not to gripe or, or point fingers, but that, Lord, our gaze would be upon you, Lord, looking to you, uh, trusting you, and allowing you, Lord, to to take our lives and to use us in the way that you want to use us. Lord, sometimes when you use us in a way we don't like, we may, we may gripe and complain about it. But I pray, Father, that you'd grant to us. Lord, like Paul said, uh, he was all things to all men. Lord, a man for all seasons. Uh, yet at, one, at, at a point we see his life before Christ. And, and Lord, uh, he was just a man driven in, in one sense of the word, a, a very religious man, very driven. And yet you took him and you poured your spirit into him. And Lord, uh, and he became a man of great, great flexibility. Lord, we need that. Lord, uh, I think so often of this verse, Lord, uh, in, in the book of Job, that the, the Almighty troubleth me and he maketh me soft. And so, Lord, when trouble comes into our life, Lord, help us, we pray, to be flexible. Lord, moldable, shapeable. Lord, soft in your hands, not hard, not rigid, Lord, uh, but, but Lord, like you, glorifying you. Father, I thank you for those that are here tonight, and Lord, thank you that we just, just to be able to lift our voices, that you're so holy, you're so good, you're so pure, Lord, you're so true, and you so love us, and we thank you for that, and help us, Lord, we pray, uh, to love one another in Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, we are in Job 15, and now we come upon Eliphaz, and this is the second time, I guess you could say this is his second rant, uh, you know, to Job. Um, each one of the, the speakers here have had uh, two different opportunities, two shots in a sense, and like I said, it almost seems like they're, they're doing a tag team kind of a thing on Job. Uh, when one, we, again, we don't know the chronology or the time frame uh, that all this took place in, uh, but it seems to be, and of course they're there, they travel from distance, uh, certain distances and so forth, and, and so when one's done with Job, uh, I don't know how much of a breather he gets, but, but here comes, you know, the next guy up to bat, you know, so to speak, and so here's Eliphaz again uh, for the second time, and we're told that, uh, then Eliphaz the Temanite answered, and he said, now Job had just spoke for a couple chapters, and um, and again, Job's just trying to justify the fact that he is innocent. We know he's innocent. Uh, his friends don't believe he's innocent. And, uh, and it seems to be that the more they speak, the kind of the harder they get 
because they're convinced that Job uh, has done something wrong because nobody can ever experience tragedy uh, and grief to the level that Job experiences and be righteous. That's their understanding. And a lot of times, you know, when we come, you know, we come, we come with our understanding. We come with the, that's why it is so important. You know, continue to walk with the Lord, be a Bible student, um, you know, walk with him in your experience where God can take you uh, and, and do what he wants, you know, into your life. Because every experience I think that you and I have in our Christian life is for a purpose. He's making us more and more. Because sometimes I see Christians uh, work so hard to circumvent, you know, any kind of trial, any kind of inconvenience, you know, any kind of challenge in their life. No, no, don't want that. We need that stuff. We need that stuff. So, so when you get a, an invitation, when you get an opportunity, even though we find so often these things challenge us. I think everything the Lord's ever done in my life has been a challenge to me, uh, you know, in some particular area where I felt like, you know, I don't think I could do this, or I feel, you know, unqualified, or I don't feel like I want to do it, you know, kind of a thing. It's always been the case uh, when I've had to travel, you know, uh, internationally. I, I just, you know, I just don't want to travel anymore kind of a thing, and God knows it. And so he, he, he creates these opportunities where, okay, you know, China, Vietnam, Africa. You know, it's like, okay, Lord. And every time I go, it's important that I go. Because there's something, there, even, in just, even in the going, if there isn't some great thing happens, that there's something that takes place in my personality, in my spiritual life, uh, where I'm just not given over to what I want. Because that's so, oftentimes life is like that. It becomes all about us dictating our life, you know, walking the way that we want to walk. And so God just sort of whispers in our ear, and he says, I want you to do this. And, and, and sometimes we don't just, you know, we're, like, we're not belligerent with the Lord, but a lot of times we're passively disobedient. We're, we're very, dis, you know, do you ever have a child like that? You have one child, and like they're a rebel. You know, no, I'm not going to do it, you know, kind of a thing. But then you got this other kid, and... Uh, and it's a funny thing. Sometimes the rebel that says, I don't want to do it, ends up doing it. And, and sometimes the kid that seems to be more compliant, you ask them, and it's just like, you know, it's, just, it's like this area of passive disobedience. And I see that so often, you know, in our lives as Christians. Um, and, and it's important, I think, when, when the Lord gives an assignment, he gives us an opportunity, an open door, a challenge, that we simply step out. He's not asking you because you're qualified, but I'll tell you what, when you step out, you'll be qualified. You, you will be enabled because whenever God calls us to do something, and a lot of times he calls us to do impossible things, whenever he calls us to do that, he is the great enabler. He is going to empower us and strengthen us to do that. So as we come here to, the, to, to this uh, uh, second uh, rant, I guess you could say, of Eliphaz uh, to Job, he says in verse 2, should a wise man answer with empty knowledge, uh, and fill himself uh, with the east wind? Uh, and should he reason with unprofitable talk and by speeches with which he can do no good? Now, he sort of implies, basically, that, that a wise man should not answer foolish reasoning. But he doesn't even take his own advice. <laughs> uh, if, if Job, what Job has to say is so foolish, why is he even saying anything? But that's his implication you know, and the other thing too, you know, Job's friends here are like many people. They see what they want to see. They hear what they want to hear. And that's why it's important, you know, the Bible says be swift to hear. You know, swift to hear and, and, and you know, very, very slow, quick to hear and very slow, you know, in our response. And, and one of the things that we're learning in this book of Job, how easy it is uh, for us even as believers because these other guys, these guys, Job's friends, they're believers, okay? It's amazing to me. Um, if this is perhaps in, uh, basically the earliest book, you know, in the Bible, um, that uh, it's amazing the revelation these guys have. That very insightful, and you see some of these quotes uh, that they're making. But again, one of the things that we said before, uh, and again, that's the thing sometimes about knowledge, because knowledge will puff you up. You know, knowledge will puff you up, and and. Uh, you know, sometimes your head can be filled with so many different things. But the fact is they know so much, but they're wrong in their application. They're wrong as they basically measure their knowledge up against Job. And, and again, these guys are totally, absolutely convinced that they are right and Job is wrong. And we get that. We see that as we move through this. Verse 4, yes, you cast off fear. In other words, 
Um, you're casting off the fear of the Lord. That, that's part of the problem, Job. And of course, we know from Psalm 36 uh, that if, there's, if a person's wicked, the wicked, it, it says that there is no fear of God before the eyes of the wicked person, Psalm 36. And, and they're assuming here that Job has no fear of God because whether you're an Old Testament or New Testament believer, there's a, there's a, there's a healthy fear of God and a respect for God. And part of, part of I think, that fear of the Lord uh, and again, the f- fear sometimes we have to use the word respect. It's a very holy uh, respect that we have, you know, for God and the things of God. But also, too, it's a fear of evil. We need to have that. We need to have a fear and a respect that, uh, you know, if I begin to move in the wrong direction and make the wrong choices and decisions and begin to, you know, practice those kind of things, that can be devastating because the, the Lord clearly warns us against, you know, uh, you know, certain practices that, that is if we open up our lives to those kind of things. So we need to have a healthy fear, in a sense, uh, of the consequences of a sinful life or sinful decisions. I think that's simply a part, you know, a, a part of the discernment I think the Holy Spirit, you know, gives to us. So they're saying, yes, yeah, Job, you cast off fear. You restrain prayer uh, before God. Your iniquity teaches your mouth and you choose the tongue of the crafty. So his discussion here, a debate with Job, is becoming more openly hostile. Um, Job, I was kind of nice last time we talked about this, but now I'm going to have to take the gloves off. We're going to have to really get kind of tough because, Job, you're, you're just, you got, a, you got skin like a rhinoceros. You're not really getting it, Job. And Job is getting it. He, he understands. And a lot of things that they say, Job's in agreement with. He's saying, yes, I know that. But the fact of the matter is you've got a case here of wrong over and over again, wrong application. Um, he says, your own mouth condemns you, uh, and, not, and not I. Uh, really? These guys, they've been saying nothing but condemnation uh, when, you look at, you know, when you look at you know, the conversation and the context and, and so forth of it. And it kind of reminds me of uh, what, um, what Ebenezer uh, Scrooge said to uh, the, uh, to the ghost there, to the spirit, he, he said, you use, my, you use your own, my own words against me. And, and that's what they're doing here. Because remember, Job said that earlier. He said, you know, uh, what was, what, uh, was the, uh, the, 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 he said, uh, if I justify myself, my own mouth will condemn me. And so he's kind of turning that around. Uh, and he's saying, basically, Job, you are condemning yourself with your own mouth. Uh, yes, your own lips testify against you. Uh, are you the first man who was born? Now, he fires off here six, again, rapid-fire kind of questions, but he doesn't really give Job a chance to answer here uh, and to respond back, uh, just simply, you know, trying to, trying to maybe... You, know, you ever been in a conversation where somebody will not give you an opportunity to just kind of talk over you, you know, kind of a thing? You've ever been in that kind of... It's a very annoying kind of conversation to be in when people just kind of talk over you and don't give you a chance, an opportunity, because, you know... Uh, we can be fierce sometimes, can't we? When we want to make our point, we want to kind of drive our point home to somebody. You're not getting it, you know. And so, you know, the octaves get a little bit higher and, and uh, so forth. Uh, he says, are you the first man who was born? Or were you made before the hills? Have you heard the counsel of God? Uh, do you limit wisdom to yourself? Uh, what do you know that we do not know? And what do you understand that is not in us. Uh, both the gray-haired and the aged are among us, much older than your father. And, and, and very possibly these guys, you get a sense that they were older than Job. But you know, there, are, there is a certain degree, I think, of wisdom that comes with age. There's a certain degree of wisdom that comes with experience. Uh, you know, you learned not to burn your fingers because you burnt your fingers so many times and you did so many stupid things, you know, earlier in your life. You learned simply not to do that anymore. So, uh, you know, naturally, you know, f- through experience, but, you know, there's not only wise old men, there's wise, there, there's old fools I- as well. And, uh, and certainly I think this is the case here as these guys are simply, uh, you know, really pouring a pressure on the Job. Uh, so the gray-haired, the, the aged, they're among us. They're, they're standing with us, Job, uh, much older than your father. And are the consolations of God too small for you? Well, there's no consolation on their part, are there? Is there? No, no consolation or comfort, you know, whatsoever. The word spoken gently with you. 
Uh, and maybe perhaps that was their first dialogue with Job. You know, they felt that maybe that was gentle. And I don't think it was all that gentle. Um, but again, you know, the, how perspective is a, is a moving target. Uh, why does your heart carry you away? And what do you, and what do you uh, excuse me, what do your eyes wink at? Uh, as if Job's kind of deceiving, you know, winking his eyes. You ever see somebody that's telling a joke or kind of maybe being deceptive to kind of wink their eye, you know, at their friend or wherever the case may be, and they're accusing Job uh, of doing that. Hey, Job, you're, you're winking your eye at somebody. You're, you know, you're trying to deceive us. Well, Job, we're not going to be deceived here. Um, that, you're, that you turn your spirit uh, against God and let such words go out of your mouth. You know, one of the things that we said before, you know, when we're dealing with people that, in deep, that are in deep grief, you know, you got to let them, they, they need a release, okay? They need to be able to, you know, basically, you know, open up their heart. They need to, you know, the Bible says mourn with those who mourn. And so sometimes when somebody's in a deep grief, and, and if anybody qualifies for it, I think Job does, uh, when you lose 10 kids, you, you, if you lose any children, you lose a spouse, uh, it, it's a very um, you know, deep experience, very painful experience, that loss. Uh, and certainly Job qualifies, you know, for, you know, you know that just l let, him, let him rattle, you know, let him, let him blow off some steam, you know, let him say some things, let him, you know. And I think we have to, you know, like these guys here are not ignoring his bitterness and his anger. And, and Job does. He's got frustration. He's got some anger here that he's trying to release. And remember that, I think. You know, sometimes I think one of the things that, you know, Job's friends did initially is, is and we commended them for that, was that when you're dealing with people that are really hurting, you know what, sometimes just shut up. Just be quiet. Let them go. Let them cry. Let them weep. Um, sometimes the, the greatest comfort is just somebody else being there. Somebody just being there to sit with them, and, 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 and by being there, you're showing, showing that person, hey, I care. You know, I, I'm here, you know, for you. Now, he goes, in verse 14, uh, 14 through 16, is kind of a repeat of what this guy said back in chapter 4, because chapter 4 was his first uh, dialogue here, um, excuse me, monologue <laughs> with Job. Uh, what is man uh, that he could be pure? And he who is born of a woman, that he could be righteous. Uh, kind of it's almost a throwback. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Psalm 8. You know, what is man? You know, what is man that, that you take account of him, that you care about him, that you consider him? Uh, but, of course, this isn't uh, that, in that particular theme. Uh, if God puts no trust in his saints, um, and the heavens are not pure in his sight, in other words, the, the angels... How much less man who is abominable and filthy and drinks iniquity like water. So there's an implication of that. Of course, he's, he's using a wicked straw man, so to speak. But obviously, Job, this has got to be you. For anybody to have, you know, what happened to you, Job, you, you've, you've had to be drinking iniquity. You've had to be doing all kinds of wrong things and terrible things. Job... <laughs> God's exposed you for, for what you are, um, all the abominations of your life. I will tell you, hear me, what, I've, what I have seen I will declare, and what wise men have told, I, I guess you could interpolate and put a word there, me, what the wise men have, have told me, uh, not hiding anything received from their fathers, to whom alone the land was, was given, and no alien passed among them. So, uh, again, he believes he stands in the long line of individuals um, that are wise. And so, therefore, you know, he simply, he must speak. He must say something. And, and it's interesting, like verse nine, 19, where he says here, to, to whom alone the land was given. And Job's lost everything. And, and of course, the, you know, the inference there is that, you know, God gives good things. He gives good things, you know, to good people. There, there's, a, there's a prosperity kind of a flavor here. Uh, to what these guys are saying, you know, that if you're good, if you're good, you know, therefore God is going to bless you, you know, kind of a thing. And there may be an element of truth to that, but also, too, it can kind of, it can kind of feed into that whole prosperity stuff, you know, uh, that if you do this, God has to do that, you know, kind of a thing. And, and, and we see, basically, the opposite with Job. He's the best guy in the whole area on the earth at that particular time. He's so absolutely upright. And yet we see these things taking place, you know, in his life. And it's a perplexity. 
it's not only um, are Job's friends so wrong, Job's really, you know, he's perplexed himself, wondering why. What has happened? Because that's what he's been saying all along. I want my day in court. I want, I want to be able to come before the judge, you know. Uh, I'll be my own advocate. I'll be my own lawyer. Just I, I want to find out. And he's looking for answers here, like any one of us would when it comes to some kind of trial or some kind of tragic thing that's touched our life. Lord, why? 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 Why, why this suffering? Why this pain? And I think sometimes we, we believe, because we have committed our life to God, that nothing negative should ever happen to us. I wish that was so. But it is not. I think one of the, and there's, you know, there's certain mystery regarding uh, uh, many of these kind of things. But whenever that happens to us and the Lord allows that kind of thing to happen to us, He's working a purpose. Uh, he's going to use that in our life, that, that very thing in our life. It becomes a ministry to other people. You know, sometimes we talk about, you know, we really want to be a witness to somebody. You know, I want to really make an impact. I want to lead people to Christ. I want to be able to... And, and, and sometimes even in answer to that kind of a prayer, that kind of desire, uh, God may take us through some things to prepare us to really effectively minister to people that are really hurting. You know, the thing is, if everything goes wonderful in our life, you know what happens to you and I? We are shallow. We are absolutely shallow. Look, just look at a child. Look at a child that grows up his whole life and he is pampered. That kind of kid is insufferable. And, and he grows up thinking, the world owes me everything, kind of a thing. But sometimes when you look at this poor kid, this poor kid is just, has, has suffered all kinds of deprivations and challenges you know, in his life, and that kid actually has a better opportunity to face life than that kid that has everything handed to him. And that's why God doesn't just hand us every little thing and just so pamper us, you know, like... The Bible speaks about that kind of kid is spoiled. And, and our father is the perfect father. And he knows exactly, even though perhaps maybe we may not like it or may not understand it, or we're asking why, like Job, to take us through certain things that mold us and shape us and make us more fruitful and, and more, make, it more, make us more useful. You know, it's like the tree. One thing, that, one thing that wind does to trees, you know what it does? It loosens up the root system. You know why? So they can go deeper. The, 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 the wind will loosen up that tree to a certain degree in, those, that, in that root system, uh, particularly when it's a young tree, enabling the roots to go deeper down. And it's the same thing with you and I. Man, when the winds blow across our life and they think we're, think we're going to get blown away, you're not going to get blown away. It's just God, you know, working his purpose in our life, making us deeper, making us more and more like Jesus. Now, in verse 20, the, the theme here uh, really for the, the rest of this is, is the wicked. And, and he says here, the wicked man writhes uh, with pain all of his days. Well, you know something? That's not always the case. Sometimes the wicked are doing great. Look at some wicked people in the world today. They're happy as a clam. They're so happy they got so much money. It's a funny thing. There are some rich people that got so much money just trying to think about it. Where can I, where can I, where can I put my money? <laughs> you know? Or where can I be benevolent or whatever the case may be? You know, over in Psalm 73, that, that's the struggle of Psalm 73. The, the righteous is going through it through a trial, and they're looking, at the, they're looking at the ungodly, they're looking at the wicked. And it basically, he, he says, uh, truly God is good to Israel, to such as of a pure heart, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped, my steps were nearly, uh, my, nearly, nearly uh, I, my feet almost stumbled, my steps nearly slipped, for I was envious at the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now look what he says about the wicked. There are no pangs in their death. No pangs in their death. 
but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. <laughs> you know, when it comes to financially or whatever the case may be, they're well-connected, man. Any kind of trouble comes, their kid gets in trouble, man, they just bail them out just like that. They, they know the judge. They got connections and so on and so forth. He says, therefore, they are not plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them uh, like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have, they have more than heart can wish. And so, yeah, the wicked, yeah, the, the wicked can get, you know, they can be, they can have a terrible time, but also, too, um, you just can't, you know, you just can't uh, totally categorize them. Well, the, you know, the wicked, uh, they're always writhing in pain because they're not. And yeah, I think, too, also, perhaps maybe the Lord gives those people that he knows uh, that maybe the wealthy, the rich, and he, the Bible says how difficult it is for that kind of person to come to heaven, uh, get into heaven. Uh, and I think God, in a sense, he gives them all that they want here and now because that's all they're going to have. That's all they got. And this life is so brief, isn't it? It is so brief, uh, so transitory, so temporary. Riches are so temporary. Oftentimes, you know, a person may work, work all their life and by the time get a chance to, to enjoy their wealth, you know, they're, they're retired. They're retired and they're tired as well. And... Um, and that's just the way life is. Life, that's, that's life. Um, as much as we try to make it heaven here on earth, this place is never going to be heaven. Um, it's, uh, it, it is what it is. It's actually, it's actually, it's really quite the proving ground when you think about it. So the wicked man rise with pain all his days, Eliphaz says. The number of years is hidden from the oppressor. Dreadful sounds are in his ears. In prosperity, the destroyer comes upon him. And I think that's true. That, that is true in a sense that, yes, yeah, Satan comes, comes along, you know, at a certain time and calls a person. And um, I've heard testimonies of people uh, uh, on their deathbed, and they would give all their riches for another six months, all their wealth for just another six months to be able to live. He does not believe that he will return from darkness, for a sword is waiting for him, as certainly that's true. He wanders about for bread, saying, where is it? He knows that a, that a day, this is obviously the poor wicket. There is a, uh, he knows that, that at a day uh, of darkness is ready for his hand. And so again, many of these things are true enough and uh, regarding the wicked. But again, there's no application here to our man Job. Trouble and anguish make him afraid. They overpower him like a king ready for battle. For he stretches out his hand against God and acts defiantly against the Almighty, running stubbornly against him with his strong, embossed uh, shield. So again, imagine if you were, Job, surrounded here by your absolutely best friends, and they're rebuking you on the worst day of your life. Man, what a... Not, not only did he have to go through the trial of great loss, but even here, his best friends all surrounding him and, uh, and reproving him, uh, trying to exhort him to a degree, but really actually rebuking him at the end of the day. Job, you know, you've been acting defiant against the Almighty. You know, you, you've been stubborn. You're, you're running away. Um, and again, creating this straw man, this wicked straw man, but in a sense, you know, Job, you're, you're, that, you're really that guy. And though he has covered his face with fatness and made his waist heavy with fat, um, kind of wondered if Job was maybe a little bit overweight and they're going to pick on him because of that as well. You know, poor guy, you know, it just, it just doesn't quite end for him. He dwells in desolate cities, in houses which no one inhabits, uh, which are destined to become ruins. And of course, um, everything Job has owned has been ruined. He will not be rich, nor will his wealth continue, nor uh, will his possessions overspread the earth. So, uh, touching on Job's loss of all of his wealth. Um, he will not depart from darkness, and the flame will dry out his branches, and by the breath of his mouth, I think he's speaking here about the breath of the Almighty, the breath of God, he will go away. So again, one of the things that we ask here of these men, where's the hope? You know, where, where is the consolation here? Um, that's, that's what, you know, that... You know, God gives us that, you know, that ministry, that opportunity. Uh, you know, whether we're reconcil reconciling someone initially to God 
are trying to encourage them or counsel them in their situation and once again turn to the Lord. There's really no hope or, or consolation here uh, in what Eliphaz has said uh, these two different times. Verse 31, let him not trust in futile things, deceiving himself, for futility will be his reward. So again, in this man's mind, Job's life has been basically uh, futile, it's been empty, uh, it's been barren. Uh, there is no reward for you, Job. It will be accomplished before his time, and his branch will not be green. He will shake off his unripe fig, or un, excuse me, unripe gra grapes or grape like a vine, and cast off his blossom like an olive tree. And I think, you know, as you look at verse 34 and 35, ending this chapter, uh, I, think I think it's a reference to the Job's family because they've been all wiped out. And, uh, and thinking that that's their just due because that kind of stuff doesn't happen to righteous people, remember. That, that's their, their premise, uh, their position, that bad things don't happen to good people. Um, there's a great book by Randy Alcorn. Um, I'm trying to think of the title. Um, it, the title escapes me. Um, but uh, there's two books by Andy, Andy, uh, Randy Alcorn. One of them is, is Heaven, which is, is, is a really good book. But his other one is uh, something about, um, about why does evil things happen to good people. That's the kind of a summation of the title there. And uh, that is a tremendous book. Um, you know, why, why good people suffer if God is good. Yes, thank you, dear. Um, and it just really answers all those questions. Um, it, it's kind of a thick book, but there's so, many, there's so many incredible testimonies in there of people that have gone through things. There's, there, there's, there's, you know, there's testimonies of, of, of women who have been raped, you know, by a family member. There are testimonies in there of people, Jewish people, that have gone through the Holocaust. Uh, there's, there, it's such a treasure trove of testimony of people, God's people, that have gone through all those things and how God has used them. He uses those kinds of things like never before. And that's, that's the beauty of our God. That's the wonder of our Lord, that he can take the tragedies, the failures, the most horrible experiences that we can experience in our humanity, in our life, and he can turn that. He, he can turn that to the good. He brings beauty out of ashes. Um, Romans 8.28, um, you know, all things, are that he can work them you know, to the good. Now, we may believe that. We may believe that, you know, theoretically, but what happens when we come into a trial? We're going to believe it then. And that's how God takes the knowledge here and he moves it to here. He takes this knowledge, this head knowledge. We've read the Bible, you know. Um, we've, we've got certain scriptures underlined. We, you know, certain, um, I, I've got so many things highlighted in, in my different Bibles. And they speak to me. They speak to me. But I, I discover also, too, when I go through some kind of, situation as I look back at that truth and I realize, man, he's deepening that truth. That truth is, has so much more meaning in our life. That's why when we go through life, you've got to have the Bible in front of you because you can't interpret things without the Word of God. God is speaking to us about what is going on, you know, in our life. And you cannot, I don't care if you're a believer, if you don't have the Bible either hidden in your heart or you don't have the Bible that you're reading on a regular basis, you can't interpret those things. You're going to be angry. You're going to be bitter. You're going to, like many people, you know, they just basically, they, they turn away from God. I'm not saying they throw away their salvation, but they just basically turn God off because they can't understand this. God, you're meanie. You've let this happen in my life. I can't understand it. It's too absolutely painful. And yet when we, you know, as we trust him through those things, we look back and, man, there's a depth, there's a peace, there's a joy, there's an appreciation of God in our lives like there never was before. So keep the word of God, you know, before your eyes because you cannot interpret what you're going through without that word from God, without that, 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 that excuse me, that, that, that insight. So verse 34, for the company of hypocrites <clears throat> will be barren. The empty. The fire will consume the tents of bribery. Now, that's, <laughs> that's what happened to, 
uh, all of his children, you know, the lightning came and, you know, the roof fell in and probably the house caught on fire. They all died. Uh, they conceive trouble and bring forth futility. That is emptiness. Their womb prepares the seat. Again, can you imagine, too, not only is not only there's a remember, Job lives in a village full of people. And if you've ever our culture today is so different than what even the culture I grew up in. I grew up in a culture where everybody knew everybody. It wasn't a, trans, it wasn't a highly transient culture like we have today. Uh, Marge and I are amazed as we walk around our neighborhood. We walk around our neighborhood, you know, just you know, to take a walk. And we're just amazed that we've been there for 21 years and we hardly know anybody. And I can remember growing up where people knew who I was four blocks away because those people have been living there for years and years and years. I remember one time uh, we were acting up as kids. You know, I think we we're up on Melrose Street or something like that. We we're acting up, and you know, some lady sticks her out the door. She says, "Are you that Casey kid?" My my grandparents' name and their their last name was Casey, and I live with my grandparents, and so she knew exactly where I lived. And uh, it's like, oh no, she knows who I am. <laughs> you know, I better behave. You know, kind of a thing. Um, and so cultures have changed. And Job lives in a village where everybody knows Job. Can you imagine the rumor mill? Can you imagine the gospel? Because these people are not distracted by all the other distractions of life. There's no cell phone. There's no TV. There's no radio. The only news they have is what's happening right there in their little village. Can you imagine they must have ate Job alive, you know? And, and what they're saying, what, these, what Job's friends are saying, they'll be saying, yeah, man, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pour it on him. He deserves it. We thought he was the greatest guy. He really is. He is the greatest guy. But we must have been wrong. So you can imagine the gossip, gossip that took place because, you know, what? not only Joe, but his friends, everybody's saying, why? Good things, bad things don't happen to good people. That, that is a philosophy that runs through human nature. And, and God is disproving that philosophy here. Challenge, difficult things, painful things happen to God's people. And yet, God can bring beauty out of it. He brings blessing out of the blastings. And, and that's the greatest witness, I think, for Job, that, that when he comes through this, he's vindicated. He's vindicated. And imagine how many people are thinking, oh, man, gosh, I was so wrong about that. Man, I had that one. And, and not only did, is Job going to learn something through this. I think everybody's going to learn something because everybody's watching, you know, this experience, you know, unfold. Now, chapter 16 here, we're back to Job, and, and, and he continues here in his complaint. And, and what he's simply asking for, just some sympathy. Give me some sympathy. Uh, he, he, he calls them worthless physicians because basically their, diagno their diagnosis and their prescription was absolutely poison. It was wrong. And then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Again, their, count, their, their counsel, their so-called comfort just made him all the more miserable. Shall words of wind have an end? <laughs> Job's giving it back to him. Yeah, you're a bunch of windbags, you know. I'm sick and tired of hearing you. Or, or what provokes you that you answer? I also could speak as you do. Uh, if your soul were in my soul's place, I could heap up words against you. I could shake my head at you. <laughs> shake my head, my finger. But notice what Job says here. But I would strengthen you with my mouth and comfort and the comfort of my lips would relieve your grief. And it's something, you know, there's, some, there's a compassionateness that takes place when we go through deep trials. When we've gotten compassion from the Lord, it just makes us, it makes us tender. It makes us sensitive. It, it gives us an empathy. It makes us sympathetic toward people. We want to just sort of, we want to run to them because we've been comforted. We've been ministered, you know, in our particular situation. Turn to 2 Corinthians. You know, Paul says something that's so important for us in these kinds of matters here because Paul knew, Paul received comfort in his suffering. 
And, and look, you know, look, uh, when we get to chapter, like 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you see all the things that Paul went through. And, uh, but, but yet, even though he went through some of those tremendous trials, there was a comfort that came to him through the Holy Spirit, and obviously for those that were around him to minister to him. But he says this for us. He, he discovered this. And he says in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of mercies. And notice what he says, the God of all comfort, our total comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Aren't you thankful for that? To know that, uh, man, when we hit trouble, when we hit suffering, that God is going to be actively, you know, in, in comfort, uh, comforting us in it. That Notice what he says here. Who comforts us, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we, in other words, a purpose here, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us. In other words, there's a, there's a, when, when, you, when our lives just line up with Jesus and in and, and identification with him, there's a suffering that comes into our life. I, I see it, you know, I see it oftentimes, not that it's a physical suffering, but, but I see oftentimes in our prayer meetings, I see people just weeping and crying, crying for souls, crying as they look out at the, the, the condition of the world or the need of some particular loved one. And, and that's the suffering, that's, that's Christ in us. We're identifying him in that as we care about people. Because we, we know how selfish human nature can be, just basically caring about our own stuff, our own things. You know, don't ask me for anything, just leave me alone. That's our world. Our world is possessed by just a, 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 just a self-centeredness. But, but God puts that love, that care, you know, within our hearts, and it's that, it's that suffering of Christ. And sometimes you can't explain it. But, but I'll tell you what, you feel it. You, you feel it at gut level. You ever, you ever sometimes just, you don't even know why, you feel like you want to cry? You ever had that? I've had that. I don't even know why. I just feel like I want to cry. <laughs> and, and when I feel like that, I know I need to go to prayer. Uh, I know that I need to go to prayer because, God, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a weight coming upon my heart, upon my life for some particular reason. And these are the sufferings of Christ. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for the enduring of the same sufferings with, with which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation, as he writes here to these folks, whatever they were going through. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will partake of the consolation. So praise God for that. Even, you know, the thing is, um, as much as we may resist or fight against or not want suffering in our life, uh, the beautiful thing, the other side of that is we're going to be comforted. The Lord's going to wrap his arms around us. Uh, he's going he's to minister to us. And sometimes I've looked at people that they're going through a period of suffering, and I'm just amazed at the level of peace and joy they have in their life. And that's the Lord. That, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. Just gracing that person. Gracing and bracing you know, that person you know, in their pain, in their difficulty. Because there's something about the grace of God that just sort of, when we're trusting Him and looking at Him, it just sort of buoys us up. It, it buoys us up in spite of the circumstances and in spite of the situation. And, and that happens for us when we're looking to Him, when we're trusting Him. Now, now back here to Job 16, in verse 6, he says, Though I speak, my grief is not relieved. No, though I speak here, my, my grief is basically uh, is not relieved. And I think it's a reminder also, too, because... You know, we have to realize relief doesn't come from venting. Even though people, yes, we said people need to be able to express their grief and their mourning and that sort of thing. Uh, but the fact of the matter is healing doesn't come from venting. 
Our healing comes by looking to the healer. That's the problem. That's the weakness of psychiatry. Venting, 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 rehashing, going back, venting, venting. And what it does, the more you just keep confessing it and reliving it, you deepen it. That's why sometimes it takes people decades to get to get to break away from, you know, that kind of thing, where they've gone through maybe psychological techniques where they just can't keep going over. And there's something about our mind. There's something. There is something normal, natural that is about our mind. Not normal, but natural about our mind. When there's something traumatic that takes place, you keep going over. You keep rehashing. You keep trying to figure it out. Why? 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 And it becomes your. It becomes like a, a hamster cage over and over and over and over again. But but from venting, you can't get relief. Relief comes from the Lord. And when we look to Him and when we trust Him, and like we said before, confessing and giving over by faith the pain of our situation, to keep confessing. Well, I tried that and it really doesn't work. Well, you need to keep doing it. That's why the Bible says keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. I think there are situations, you know what, where there's been traumatic and, and, and deep wounding, you need to keep confessing it over to Him. You ever notice that when you've been deeply, deeply offended and hurt by somebody? You, you maybe have confessed your unforgiveness toward that person, but next time you see that person, it's like a little bit of... Uh, 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 stomach tightens up. Now you, in faith, forgave them. And you know what? You need to keep doing that. You need to keep just, Lord, I give it to you. Lord, give me, give me... Lord, give me your forgiveness. Give, give me your release. I mean, these things, these things are so endemic to human nature. They eat people alive. They destroy people. And, and if we, as God's people, allow that, it can do it to you. It can really sideline your, your Christian experience, your Christian life. Your relief comes from the reliever. <laughs> Healing comes from the healer. Though I speak, my grief is not relieved. If I remain silent, how am I eased? But now he has worn me out. <clears throat> you have made me desolate, all, all my company. You have shriveled me up, and I am a, it is a witness against me. My leanness rises up against me. So he, he's speaking directly to the Lord and of the Lord, and he's simply he's trying to accept it, but at the same time, too, he's wrestling with it. He's trying to accept it, just like you and I try to accept things, you know. Okay, I want to see God's sovereignty, you know, in this situation, in this circumstance. But at the same time, too, in our human nature, we kind of wrestle with these kinds of things. And, and I wish sometimes we didn't have the wrestling, but sometimes that's just, that's just a part of the whole thing. And we have to allow, you know, we have to, we have to let the Spirit win over in our lives. We have to just keep, you know, again, keep turning it over because sometimes you want to take it back. Like, for instance, that's what I was saying, that forgiveness thing. You know, we can, you can say, I forgive him, and then, you know, if you let the old nature get a hold of your thinking and you start just dwelling on it, you know, yeah, I hate him, I hate him, yeah, I really hate him, yeah, you know, kind of a thing. Um, and that can happen to us. We, we wrestle, we, you know, we're, there, there's sort of a, uh, we're sort of a divine schizophrenic, uh, if you will, because we have the new nature and we still have the old nature, okay? And, uh, and, and it's like, you know, Paul said this, he, uh, Galatians, I think, you know, they, they fight one against another, the old nature and the new nature, they're, they're fighting, they're contending. And that's why it's the most important thing for you and I, if we're going to win, if, gonna, if the new nature's going to win, you've got you to continue to walk in the Spirit, you've got to be a person of prayer, you've got to stay in your Bible, because that's what feeds the Spirit. There's so much negative around our world that feeds the old nature. You know, sometimes, you know, you can even sometimes have another Christian give you the wrong counsel to handle it the wrong way. I, I see that all the time. Sometimes some of the things that, that Christians put on social media, unbelievable, unbelievable. They ought to be ashamed of themselves for posting some of the things that they post you know, on social media that are so harmful, so hurtful, so hateful.
And there's all, the world's always going to endorse that. And that's why we need to think in the Spirit. We need to walk in the Spirit. We need to live in the Spirit. Verse 9. He tears me in his wrath and he hates me. <laughs> now, he is sensing anger and hatred. But you know what, folks? It's not from the Lord. We know who it's from, right? It's from the enemy. Remember, the enemy is breathing down his neck. He's trying to make a point to God. The devil's trying to make a point to God by destroying Job and having Job capitulate and give in. And then the devil's going to say, see, God, he's just a mercenary. He's just in it for what he can get out of it. He, God, he doesn't really love you. That's Job's the football. He's <clears throat> so he tears me in his wrath, and of course the, the devil's beaten on this guy. He gnashes at me with his teeth. My adversary sharpens his gaze on me. You know, it's interesting, the word adversary, it's another word for Satan. The first time, the first reference to Satan in Genesis, basically, is the word adversary. And, and he doesn't even realize it. He doesn't even understand. Yes, my, he's saying basically my adversary sharpens his gaze upon me. It's Satan. It's, it's almost kind of like it slips out there. He doesn't fully realize because he doesn't, he doesn't know about that conversation in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And that's exactly what's, what's going on here. They gape at... Now, what's interesting to me in verses 10 and 11, they so perfectly and prophetically they speak of Christ. You see, Job... Um, in a sense, he's entered into the sufferings of Christ. And, and verses 10 and 11 are so prophetic. Remind me of Psalm 22. Look what it says. They gape at me with their mouth. That's just what... what uh, remember, Psalm 22 is the Lord speaking in the first person. You've you got, you got two major um, sections, chapters in the Old Testament that speak of the sufferings of, of, of Messiah. Uh, Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, they're in the first person. In Isaiah 53, they're in the third person, okay? And, and what you have in Psalm 22 is the Lord. Remember Psalm 22, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 1, that, that's messianic. That's the Lord saying that. He says that. He says that later on the cross, uh, so again, here, this is so prophetic, pointing to Christ. They gape at me with their mouth. They, they strike me reproachfully on the cheek. They gather together against me. God has delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over to the hands of the wicked. Jesus could have said that. And again, it's a profile of the suffering Savior, the one who, you know, Job was suffering for Christ in a sense. And we have to realize that too, that when we come into times of suffering and deprivation and, and, and trials, we want to reflect Christ. We, we want to, no matter what it seems our adversaries are, our enemies are, or what's against us, that as we trust Him through that, that somehow Christ will be communicated We see that principle all through the Bible. When, when God's people, when God's people in their trust for him suffer, that it becomes a witness and it impacts the lives of so many that are just, they're, they're watching. That's why Paul said, you know what Paul said? You're a, we are a spectacle. We are a spectacle before the world. And a spectacle oftentimes in, in the old Roman days was when they brought out you know, the Christians to be, you know, to fight with the gladiators, to fight with the lions. That was a spectacle. And Paul says that. He adapted. He says that, you know, about us. He says, we become in many senses a spectacle because why? People are watching us. And they watch us when we're doing great. And that's fine. That's, but they're really watching us when we're hurting, when we're struggling. You know, when the chips are down. 
That, that's the real witness. He's turned me over to the hands of the wicked. <clears throat> now, verse 12 here. He believes that, that God is just, he, th he thinks God's shaking him by the neck, you know, kind of a thing, you know, making him a, a target for his arrows. Uh, he, he, he sees himself here in verses 12 through 14 as sort of like a wounded animal. I was at ease, but he has shattered me. Uh, he also has taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces. He has set me up for his target. His archers surround me and he pierces, excuse me, he pierces my heart. And he does not pity. He pours out my gall upon the ground. And he breaks me with wound upon wound. He runs at me like a warrior. Uh, some translations actually translate that like a giant, as if Goliath was running at him. And, you know, this is, this is really, uh, unfortunately, in his mind because of his great suffering, it's a sad picture that we have of God. But you know what it speaks of? How many people look at God when they're going through their trial too. that they ascribe, you know, all these negative things. But, you know, I want to, we looked at this before over in Lamentation chapter 3. I want you to turn there because I find my heart and mind always going back to this, that, that when trouble comes, when, when compassion, when, or, or when a, a predicament comes or some, kinds of, some, some type of suffering or, or pain in our lives, and, and as you look at Lamentations, it was probably one of the most painful times in the life of God's people, Judah. Because the southern kingdom have fallen. The Babylonians have come in and just sort of taken over. Um, probably tens of thousands of people were murdered, killed in the defense of Jerusalem. But he says this in verse 21 of Lamentations 3. Therefore I recall to mind, or this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope that through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait, excuse me, hope, and quietly, uh, and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now look at verse 32. Though he causes grief. Sometimes God has to allow that. Sometimes God has to purpose it. It says, yet will he show compassion. Remember this about punishment. God's work in your life and my life is not punitive. It's always corrective. It's always corrective. Now, some of us sometimes, maybe perhaps by our dad, I don't know what your dad was like growing up, and probably you girls probably never got spanked. And... Uh, God, the boys, it's something different. <laughs> Sometimes a daily occurrence. <laughs> but chastisement is always designed to be corrective. God, what, chastens those whom he loves. Now, Satan punishes people. He, he gets people, he, he draws people into temptation, and then as soon as things begin to fall apart, he's right there, man, to punish them and destroy them. God is not like that. But even if he has to cause grief, it's for a purpose. It's to bring correction. It's to bring change. Ultimately, to bring restoration to the person. He says, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Now, here's the, ver here's the key verse in all of this. He does not afflict willingly. And if you have perhaps maybe a, a footnote on that or a note in your column, which gives us the literal, God does not afflict from his heart. Because what's in his heart toward his people is love. Have you ever been a parent that if you had to chastise your child, you know how difficult it is? And most parents are like, we put it off and we put it off and we put it off because we don't want to do it. And I think in a sense that can represent the heart of God. He, he doesn't afflict 
from his heart. It's, it's not his intention to hurt anyone. It's difficult for him. That's why it says that his, his um, long-suffering is salvation. He suffers long with people. He, he's incredibly patient and gracious. And maybe this situation will turn it around. He does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. Now notice this. He does not crush under one's feet all the prisoners of the earth to turn aside the justice that's due a man. Who's more just than him? Before the face of the Most High or subvert a man in his cause, the Lord does not approve. Yeah, what a gracious God we have. He doesn't approve of crushing people like other people. Satan does. And that's what Satan really is trying to do here with Job. Let's go through this quickly, guys. We are, we have, we are we're out of time. I have sewn sackcloth over my skin. Uh, he just can't see himself whole again. And laid my head in the dust. My faith is, face is flushed with weeping. On my eyelids is the shadow of death. His whole facial expression is so distorted from, from his pain. Although no violence is in my hands. No, no injustice is in my hands, he's saying. My prayer is pure. Um, he's crying out for justice, actually. O earth, do not cover my blood. Let my cry have no resting place. Surely even now my witness is in heaven. In other words, in he he's saying basically heaven knows. And sometimes, you know what? We have to say that. People may not understand, but heaven knows. God knows. My evidence is on high. My friends scorn me. My eyes pour out tears to God. Oh, that one might plead for a man with God. As one pleads for his neighbor. I was thinking, you know, as I thought about this, there was one that pled for mankind in a garden. <laughs> he pled for you and me. He faced the temptation. <laughs> and when a few years are finished, I shall go the way of no return. You know, these deep issues that were in the heart, in the life. <clears throat> You know, are, are things perhaps that maybe Job had never experienced. But as he goes through these, there'll be a depth, there'll be a growth, there'll be a development, there'll be a ministry, you know, for him. And again, God, you know, what he brings out of, you know, sometimes, you know, any bad circumstance or the worst of circumstances that he can wonderfully, you know, be glorified. And, you know, as a pastor over the years, you know, I've watched, I've watched, uh, you know, so many different saints, you know, go through some really deep waters, you know, divorces, betrayals, you know, the loss of children, the loss of a spouse, the loss of financial security, all these things. And one of the things that I have to say that I've seen that's been consistent in every case, where there has been this trust, this, just this, you know, though he slay me, yet will I trust him, that there has been a beauty that has come out of that circumstance because you can see it in the life. You can see the, you can see the faith. You can see the growth. You can see the sensitivity. You can see the tenderness. You can see the, the, the empathy now, you know, in this person. And certainly that is not only true here as we, we're going to see in the life of Job, but you know that's true for us. So Lord, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, for your spirit. We're thankful, Lord, that whatever it is that, Lord, we have to go through in life, that you've made this glorious promise that you'll be with us. You'll be with us, Lord. Lord, I... I I think of Job when I think of this verse over there in, in uh, Isaiah, I think it's maybe Isaiah 33. And Lord, you were speaking of Israel, but, but it's true of all of us that, that in our affliction, Lord, you're afflicted. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your great heart, Lord, to identify with us. And when we think of you identifying with us, it can't be any more, more perfect 
Lord, that when you came to this earth and you robed yourself in flesh and you experienced so many things, all the temptations yet without sin, and you experienced pain far more than perhaps any of us will ever experience. And so we thank you, Lord, that even though perhaps maybe like Job's friends, people may not understand, Lord, what we have to negotiate, navigate, and go through. But Lord, you are there, and we thank you. And I, we want to pray, Father, for anyone tonight that we know or anyone in this body, Lord, that may be presently in a deep trial. Lord, going through a period of time of suffering. And, and like Job, Lord, and it would be the same with us, Lord. We'd be asking, why? Lord, why, why did that have to happen? Or why is this happening? Or, or why me? Heavenly Father, how we pray for them tonight. We pray for your comfort. We, we pray for your consolation. And Lord, I pray that if in any way we can be the very antithesis of Job's friends to bring encouragement and, and comfort to someone that's hurting. And Lord, this time of year, so many, so many folks are depressed and discouraged. That maybe their families have imploded. They've fallen apart. And, and it's anything but a Merry Christmas. Oh, Father, I pray. If there's anybody like that in our lives, Lord, help us, we pray. Give us an opportunity to reach out. And Lord, in some way, in some way, to bring comfort and the consolation of Jesus Christ. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.